Well, if you would, I'd like you to turn to the person beside you, and I would like you, on a scale of 1 to 10, to rate how your week was. 10 is like you won the lottery. 1 is like your pastor found out you play the lottery, okay? So 10 to 1. Go ahead. Check that out, okay? Turn to the person beside you. Do that. Okay, okay, let's uh, come back now. And last week we began a brand new series called Flow. And what we're trying to do is be able to experience life to its fullest. And we're starting to think about kind of what do our lives look like. And we know that the New Testament is full of promises that God gives to us about this new kind of life. And in John chapter 7, verse 38, uh, Jesus gave these words. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow from within them. It will flow out of the center of your being, out of your belly, out of your abs, out of the core of who you are. God's spirit will flow and you will have energy and light and life. And peace and power. And if you remember last week, I kind of gave this illustration graphically that God has given us this desire for a promised life. And that's what we're longing for. But we also have reality, circumstances, situations in our life. And in between, there is this gap between the promised life that God has for us and what reality is. And we talked about the fact that many of us try to go through our lives trying to fill the gap. We try harder. Sometimes we pretend the gap doesn't exist. But sometimes we get to the point where we actually just kind of give up. And we say, well, I'll never experience what is on the left-hand side. I'll never experience the promised life that God has for me, so nothing will change. I'll never have rivers of living water flowing from me. But we asked last week, what if what Jesus said is really true? What if the promised life is something that you and I can experience? What if the reality is there is a river, not a gap, between the promised life and reality, and that river is the Holy Spirit longing for us going downstream uh, or upstream, either way, but to the promised life. And what if our job is not to work harder or do more or try to find something more spiritual? What if our job is simply to jump into the flow and stay into the flow of God's Spirit? What if the Spirit was really available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and our job was simply to stay in the flow. This morning, I want us to look at something that sometimes interrupts the flow, and it's between your two ears, your mind. More than anything else is that sometimes our mind and our spirit does not intersect. 
And when that happens, we experience this feeling of a gap and we stay stuck in reality. Now, Paul, uh, a guy who wrote over half of the New Testament, gives us a very clear explanation of the difference between the mind and the spirit and how important it is for those two things to be connected. In Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 5, it says this. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their mind set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind controlled by a sinful person is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor does it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. So what I want to ask us this morning is this question. How does the mind and the spirit intersect? And here's my first observation. Your mind is a running faucet that never shuts off. And your spiritual life is what flows out of it. Let me say that again. Your mind is a running faucet that never shuts off. And your spiritual life flows out of it. In fact... This situation is going on right now. You're sitting there right now, and it's comfortable today, and you just read that passage of Scripture, and you're thinking to yourself, what did Paul really mean by that? So maybe you pull out your outline, and you look at it, and you start looking at the Scripture that's there. And as you look at the program, you notice that your fingernails have been bitten off. And you start thinking to yourself, boy, that's a bad habit. I hope no one else sees that I bite my fingernails. And when did I bite my fingernails? I bit my fingernails on Friday. Oh, yeah, I went into my boss's office and I had this evaluation and I started biting my fingernails. Man, that's bad. Oh, my boss again. I'll tell you what. I think I should go off on that guy. Yeah, I will. You know, Chris said the spirit stuff, so I'm going in with the spirit to go off on him on Monday morning. I can't stand that. Hey, those people in front of me are holding hands. I don't know why they're holding hands, but they are. They look like they're in love. Why isn't my husband holding my hand? He never holds my hand when there must be a problem with our marriage. What's going on with that? Did that guy that's standing on the stage just say, but? I think he did. But, that's funny. I better not laugh, though. And, folks, you think I'm dumb to these things, but when you're sitting there, I know all of this is going on. This is your mind, folks, and this is how it works. Your mind is constantly working, having a series of thoughts that are going through it. Sometimes it looks like this. Niagara Falls. There are so many thoughts that are going into your head, and it just feels like it's flowing down. Other times, though, it's a little bit slower, and you have one grip. And all day, all you can do is focus on one thing, and that is it. But the reality is, your mind never sits still. 
You are constantly having thoughts and observations and ideas. And it is flowing ceasingly. And out of it comes your life. Observation number two. We all have patterns or habits that tend to run through our minds. We all have patterns or habits that tend to run through our minds. For example, someone comes up to you and they're like, you look terrific. An optimist is like, wow, I like that guy. A pessimist is like, the lighting must be really bad in here right now. A narcissist says, well, I was thinking the exact same thing. I mean, I do look good. In fact, I think I look hot today, you know. A cynic will say, this person is just trying to get me to sign up for kids camp to volunteer. And the reason that that happens is because we put names to people and how they respond to us. We define their personalities. We say that they're an introvert or they're an extrovert. They're brave or they're not so brave. They're talkative or, wow, they're like a quiet church mouse. These names simply refer to the specific patterns or habits that a person has. And yet... That flow, folks, determines each of our identities. This is the inner flow of the mind. It's your mind. It's your flow for better or for worse. There's this unceasing flow. There is a river inside of you. It may be a river of living water that is pure and true and filled with love, or it may be a stream that is muddy and toxic and dry and bitterness flows out of you. But for better or for worse, that is your flow. It's going on inside of you all the time. Even when you don't remember it, even when you don't see it, it's happening. And Paul says that there are these patterns, there are these habits that flow from us. You see, it's not really so much about your circumstances. It's not about your situations. The reality is that rarely do circumstances or situations alter the way that we think, alter our minds. I looked at a fascinating study this week. They looked at 22 people who won the lottery. They hit the jackpot. They were living the big life. They were filled with happiness. Six months later, they interviewed the people, and what they found is that their happiness level was exactly at the same place that it was six months before. The circumstance, the jackpot, did not change their mind at all. Same study. They took 29 people who had been in a car accident and lost their limbs. They became quadriplegic. And what was astonishing to the researchers is that six months later, after their accident, when they looked at their happiness level, it was exactly at the same level as it was before they had the accident. Their happiness level was the same. And this was the interesting thing, though. When it came to their future, the people who where quadriplegic had actually a higher uh, optimism of their future than the people who had hit the lottery. 
You see, folks, a lot of times we think our circumstances, our situations will change our mind. In fact, sometimes we're just like, well, if I just got a raise or I got a new car or the circumstances changes, things would be better in my mind. And it doesn't happen that way. Third observation. Every thought has the power to open me up to the flow of the Spirit or to close me off to the Spirit. Every thought has the power to either open me up to God's Spirit or to close me off to God's Spirit. Now you might be asking, well, how do I know what kind of thoughts are thoughts of the Spirit? People will ask that all the time. Hey, I got a thought. I don't know if it's from God or it's just myself. I I don't know. How do we understand that? Well, I think Paul gives a very good analysis of this in Romans chapter 8. Paul says that every thought you have has a spiritual charge. Every single thought that you have has a spiritual charge. It carries that with it. Verse 6 says this. The mind controlled by the flesh, a person in opposition to God, a sinful person, it leads to what? What's it say? It leads to death. But the mind controlled by the spirit is what? What's that? So every thought that you have, folks, it either is going to lead you to life or it will lead you to death. Now, when Paul makes these real big uh, kind of stark contrast, he's trying to give us a point of saying it's true. Every thought has a spiritual thought and it leads to life or it leads to death. Now, he's not saying this. Good people only have good thoughts all the time. And bad people only have bad thoughts all the time. That's not what he's saying. He's simply saying that every single thought you have carries a little spiritual charge. And every thought either opens you up to God's spirit or it closes off his spirit in your life. Every thought is leading you a little bit into life or every thought is leading you a little bit into death. For instance, let me give you an example. I have two daughters. We have many thoughts that come from their minds to my mind and my mind to their mind. And there are situations that lead to life and to death. What about this one? My daughter is mad at me. It's no use trying to do anything about it. Nothing ever changes. I don't think I'll ever have the kind of parent-child relationship I've always dreamed of. Life or death? Death. Here's another thought. My job is not going real well right now. If I lose my job, God could never use me again. Life or death? Yeah. Folks, each thought we have either leads to life or to death. But sometimes what happens is we get into trouble because we think that all of our thoughts sometimes have a spiritual meaning to them. And many times they don't. Old story. Guy drives up to a bakery and he's thinking to himself... I want to get a donut. So he prays to God first. He says, God, I will only have a donut if it is your will for my life that I have a donut. So if there is a parking space in front of the donut shop when I drive by, then I will know it is from you. It is your desire for me to have a donut. And sure enough, the sixth time around there, there is an open spot. And he's like, it's God, you know, for me to have that donut. Folks, we play these games all the time, don't we? 
Mark this down. All thoughts have a little spiritual charge. All thoughts have a little spiritual charge. And the thoughts of the mind of the spirit lead us to hope, never despair. Always toward love, not sin. Always towards truth, not lies. Always toward growth, not stagnation. They always, thoughts from the spirit, always lead us to life. So let me ask you this question. What have your thoughts been lately? What have you been thinking about lately? Observation number four. The natural tendency of the mind set apart from God is towards death, not life. The actual natural tendency of the mind that is set apart from God is toward death, not life. That's why Paul says this in Romans 8 and uh, verse 7. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. There is tons of research about this whole area of the mind. And when people are alone by themselves and they're not distracted by noise or activity, they naturally drift towards these things. Discontentment, anger, a sense of inadequacy, a fear of the future, chronic kind of self-preoccupation of thinking about themselves. When people are alone and they're not distracted by noise or activity that is around them, and they're set with their minds alone, it leads towards death. This is why most of the time people don't like solitude. When someone says, why don't you go spend five minutes alone with God, they get to like five seconds, they're like, I'm done. Because they don't want to be alone with their mind. For example, when parents want to punish a child, what is the number one method of punishment? You beat them to death, right? No, what's the number one form of punishment? Time out. In our house, when you're put in time out, you can't talk. You can't say anything. And if you do, it starts all over again. And my girls hate time out. In fact, we had an incident last week, and I think Shiloh was like, I'd rather have a spanking, you know? <laughs> like, just get it over with. In our prison system, what's the most hated form of punishment for prisoners? Solitary confinement. No one wants to be alone. Because people hate to be alone with their minds. You see, when human beings are alone with only their minds, their thoughts naturally turn towards anxiety and anger and fear and inadequacy, and it always goes towards death. This is why television is so addictive in our society. I'm an addict. I get home, I do all the stuff with the family, I put the kids to bed, and then it's like, it's my time. ESPN, a movie, whatever it is. And why do I do that? Because I don't want to have to think about what's going on in my mind. 
people don't watch television and then feel fulfilled. It's not like you go, you get ready to go to bed and you're like, man, it was a wonderful night of television watching. I mean, I just can't wait till tomorrow. I mean, I feel so refreshed and I'm ready to go on with my day. So why do we watch so much TV? Because it keeps us from having to deal with what's going on in our mind. Why is it that we always seem to have our cell phones ready whenever there's a dead moment in the conversation at the supper table or out to eat or with your friends? Because all of a sudden you start thinking, I don't know if they really like me. They kind of gave me a dirty look. Is this guy interested in me? I don't know. Let me pick up my cell phone. When your mind is open to the Spirit, thoughts flow through it like joy and love and patience and kindness and sacrifice and forgiveness, thinking of others before yourself. That's what happens then. And God wants your mind to be saturated with His Spirit. Fifth observation, the gift of the Holy Spirit means you can choose what thoughts you will listen to. The gift of the Holy Spirit means that you get to choose what thoughts you will listen to. Now, of course, sometimes this takes learning. Sometimes it uh, just takes some time. Sometimes there are certain conditions, neurological conditions that people have that they need medication for this. They can be obsessive compulsive maybe and have that condition and so on. But for a general statement, the gift of the Holy Spirit means that you can choose, when you have God's Spirit in your life, you can choose what you want to have your thoughts focused on and what you want to listen to. Dallas Willard wrote a classic book called The Renovation of the Heart, and this is a quote in it. He says this, The ultimate freedom we have as human beings is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell upon. It's the greatest freedom that we have as human beings. Regardless of the circumstances, folks, regardless of the situations, people get to choose what they want to dwell on. Paul gives us this command. He says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Just a real quick uh, way to kind of help us understand uh, this whole concept of the mind. When you think of God, turn to the person beside you. When you think of God, do you think of a beard or no beard? Okay, go ahead. Ask the person beside you. When you think of God, do you think of a beard or no beard? And what's the correct answer? No! God's Spirit has neither. But isn't it true? I bet a lot of you were like, beard. It's like the pictures that we have of Jesus. Do you think back in the first century they had, you know, Kodak cameras going, hey, Jesus, can we get a clip because we're going to, like, sell some pictures later on? No! That's just our best guess of what Jesus looks like. But in our mind, we think that. So when he says, set your minds on things above, he's talking about the things of heaven. But you see how it can be very confusing of what's in heaven. It refers to this, 
It really refers to allowing your mind to have thoughts that are going to be in heaven. And we know those because we're given them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. All those things will be in heaven. And don't let your mind be enslaved by the things here that happen on earth of resentment, anxiety, greed, superiority. You see, folks, they are opposing kingdoms, heaven and earth. You know, people often say, man, it's going to be heaven on earth. Dude, if it's like, if heaven's going to be what earth is, I don't want to go. I want heaven to be what scripture says, which is totally other. And until that point, I want to have my mind focused on the things that are happening in heaven. That's why I encourage you all the time in the Lord's Prayer when it says, you know, may it be on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, may it be in my life as it is in heaven. May it be in our home as it is in heaven. May it be in our church as it is in heaven. May it be in our community as it is in heaven. And Paul and Jesus both say that this can begin to happen when we allow the Holy Spirit to fill our mind. Now, some of you might be asking, but how can you do that? How can we set our minds to focus on life and not death? Well, let me tell you. Uh, anyone here uh, ever seen the movie Beautiful Mind? Anyone? Okay. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Go to Redbox and uh, get that. Put that in. Give a snack to somebody and we return it. But I'll just tell you the story, but it's a great movie. It's one of my favorite stories. Uh, there was a guy by the name of John Nash who had a brilliant mind, and uh, he taught at Princeton. He was just a fabulous thinker. Uh, he actually won a Nobel Prize for some of his theories. But John Nash had voices that were in his mind. He was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. He had thoughts that were not true, thoughts that were not rational, thoughts that were deceitful. They seemed real to him. They made him feel important, but they played with some of his darkest fears. And he was diagnosed with this, and the amazing thing was, even though he would walk through his life and he would actually see images of other people that would talk to him, he trained his mind within time not to listen to what those images said. And through some of the medication he had, it helped him out as well. And at the end of his life, he had just come out of a, a psychiatric institute, and he was coming back to Princeton. And he meets his colleague who was thinking about uh, hiring him. And this is a clip that I'd like you to see of the two of them. Thinking that I'm my teacher. A classroom with 50 students can be daunting for anyone. Besides, you're a terrible teacher. I'm an acquired taste, Martin. <laughs> I was hoping there still might be something I could contribute. What about the, um, well, you know, I've been gone? No, they're not gone. Maybe they never will be. I've gotten used to ignoring them, and I think as a result, they've kind of given up on me. You think that's what it's like with all our dreams and our nightmares, Martin? We've got to keep feeding them for them to stay alive. And John, they, they haunt you, though. 
Well, they're my past, Martin. Everybody's haunted by their past. Well, goodbye. John, I'll talk to the department. Maybe in the spring. So you saw those images that he would see all the time of people that he thought was talking to him. And I don't know if you caught the phrase or not, but this is what Nash said. I've gotten used to ignoring them, and as a result, I think they've given up on me. I've gotten used to ignoring them, and so I think that they've given up on me. You know, your mind and my mind, in some ways, is very similar to what he experienced. And Paul gives us a commandment of those thoughts that come into my mind. That you're not good enough. You're not kind enough. God could never use you. Uh, you're not pretty enough. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. When all of those thoughts come into our mind, Paul gives us an equation to use. And this is what he says. He says, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I memorized it from another translation, but it just simply says, we capture every thought and make it obey Christ. And when thoughts start coming into my mind that remind me that I'm not this or I'm not that or I'm not the other thing, I remind myself, I capture every thought and I say, you will obey Christ. Because our mind has a way of playing tricks on us. Now, like I said last week in this series, we're not talking about working harder or trying more or doing more things. Let me give you an analogy. It's a little bit of a stretch, but uh, I'd like some grace from you. Is that okay? Boy, you're great grace givers today, I'll tell you. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give an analogy. It's going to be a little bit of stretch. I need a little bit of grace. Will you give that to me? Okay? Okay, okay. So here's the analogy. Uh, since television uh, is a part of our lives, I want you to imagine a television network Imagine that it exists, and it's always on 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all the time. It's filled with amazing opportunities. It's filled with these real-life good deals and things, and you can have them anytime you want. You can have access to these offers. And the call letters for this network is this. What's that stand for? No, 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 no. Holy Spirit Network, okay? The Holy Spirit Network. And this is why, folks. Because Jesus says that it's like that. He says there is a river of life flowing from you. And it is at the core of your belly. And anytime you want to tap into it to have His Spirit available in your life, you can do so. You can do it anytime you want to connect with Him. It's not about trying harder or doing more. You can do that. You can simply say, God, here's what I'm dealing with. Here's my problem, my challenge, my concern, my anger, my frustration, my fear. You say, help me. And God's spirit that lives within you is ready there to help. That's what the Holy Spirit is, a helper of you. And there will be thir certain thoughts, not all of them, but there will be certain thoughts that will come to your mind that will move you then towards life. And the more that you practice, the more that you're able to recognize what those thoughts are. And they help you to have a sound mind and to make wise choices. And then out of your spirit flows things like patience and compassion and kindness and love to other people. 
Let me close by just giving you this guidance as you tune into the Holy Spirit. And it's a single phrase, but it's meant so much to me. In the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, there's a guy by the name of David who is considered the greatest king of the Old Testament, the greatest king of Israel. But on one particular day, David had a really, really bad day. Just by a sign of hands. How many of you in your life have ever had one really, really bad day? Raise your hand, okay? If you've ever had a bad day. Now, those people that didn't raise their hand, what do we call them? Liars. Liars. That's right. Because everyone has had a really, really bad day before. Well, this was David's day. He was running away from his old boss, a guy by the name of Saul. He had lost his wife, he had lost his mentor, and he had lost his best friend. And Saul's soldiers are coming after him, ready to kill him. It was a bad day. Have any of you felt like you had co-workers sometime that wanted to kill you? <laughs> like they're coming after me, you know? Yeah. But then, in the midst of this very, very bad day... This is what Scripture tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. It'll come up on the side screen. Let's read this out loud together. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. He's on his worst day, maybe a bad, bad day. But he encourages himself in the Lord. And I say this is so important because a few weeks ago, as I was preparing for this series, I looked back on my Uh, journal notes that I had in 1998. I've journaled for about 20 years. I I write down what I think God's telling me, what he's convicting me of, what he wants me to do. And I put those thoughts down, what I need, what uh, I need for my family. And I was looking through these notes of when we had first moved here to Muncie and I didn't know anybody. And Jennifer was at uh, residency training and I was going to seminary, cemetery, I mean seminary, And uh, I was going to Anderson School of Theology to do that. And I looked through the pages of my journal during that fall semester in 1998. And it was filled with disappointment, discouragement, and depression. And I started reading things like, I don't think I'm a good husband. I don't think I'm a good student. I don't think I'm a good pastor. And I realized as I looked through all of this stuff, even though I was spending time with God... And I was reading the Bible and I was doing my devotions and I was praying. My thoughts were not being guided by the Spirit. And here was the sign. There was no increased power in my life to overcome the struggle or the sin that I was in. Because when grace comes, folks, it always comes with power to change your life and your mind. Sometimes God allows us to go through pain or sorrows, but he always, always, ultimately, if we stay in the flow, he will always take us to a point of hope and power. You know, in our quiet times, our devotions, the time that we try to get connected with God, it's important to have self-examination. It's important to say, hey, this is where I messed up. This is where I'm at. But you don't live there. And some of you, the only time you go to God is when you're trying to beat yourself down more and saying, God, I'm horrible. I'm not good. Look what I've done. This is it. But the text does not say David beat himself up in the Lord. What does it say? It says it encouraged himself 
in the Lord. The problem is, some of you are beating yourselves up in the Lord. And it needs to stop. So this week, uh, each of you received a little uh, reading plan for this week. Most, even if you're not a reader, it's like a verse or just a few verses. If you didn't get one, when you leave today, there'll be a program there for you to pick up. But what I'd like you to do each day this week is to read the scripture verse. Look it up if you have to in the table of contents. Then read the actual uh, words that are underneath that. And then that you would spend some time encouraging yourself in the Lord. And sometimes I'll, I'll just sit there and I'll just bask in his love and I'll go, God, I know that regardless of who I am or what I've done, you love me. Holy Spirit, would you just love me right now? And all of a sudden, I'll, I'll feel his presence being with me. Or if you need to ask for help, he's the helper to do that. To listen for wisdom, to remember his promises. And if you ever have thoughts when you're in the midst of that, that it's like, you don't deserve this, you're not good enough, that's from the evil one. That is not from God. And it's in that moment that you speak that phrase out. I capture every thought and make it obey Christ. There are times in my life when I'm praying and I'll, I'll sense that, oh, I'm not good. And I get to remind myself, I capture every thought, I make it obey Christ. You know, last week I talked about a wave being like a metaphor for grace. And if you've ever surfed before, and if you haven't, that's okay too, but you see them, they get up and they, they fall down a lot. But you ever notice this? There's always another wave to come. There's always another wave. If you wipe out, you mess up, there's always another wave. And that's what God's grace is. Always sending us another wave. So that the mind remembers who I am and whose I am. Well, let's stand for a closing prayer. And I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up. If you'd like prayer for anything... Uh, they would love to pray for you. Um, so if you'd like prayer for anything, please come on up. They'd, they'd love to pray with you. And uh, let's pray. Loving God, thank you so much for our minds. Thank you that you give us the ability to think. And you give us thoughts. that are about you or from you. And thank you, God, so much that the thoughts that you give to us, they always lead to life. So help us this week as we take moments to be in your presence, that we would stay in the flow. We would hear from you. And our mind and our spirit would intersect at the place where we can be able to encourage ourselves in the Lord. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.